Um, all right, so I am going to uh, speak again out of, I know we went into last week, for those of you who were here, kind of more out of the liberating from captivity theme from Isaiah 61. We're going to be looking back at uh, more of a healing of the heart um, from Isaiah 61. So if you aren't familiar with Isaiah 61, it's a very important passage of Scripture for sure. Jesus is found reading this at the very dawn of his ministry. It's the first and only Scripture that we find Jesus uh, actually kind of reading from, if you will. Um, and it is used in that context of Luke chapter 4, the beginning of his ministry, right after he gets baptized by the Holy Spirit, um, as a mission statement for what he's about. And so if you don't know what Isaiah 61 is, hopefully your appetite has been wet. This is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus says, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news or the gospel to the poor. So that's the Spirit being on him and why it's on him, but there's a mission. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, uh, to proclaim the acceptable day of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to, uh, com to uh, comfort those who mourn in Zion, to appoint to them who... Uh, to appoint to them to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. Who are they in verse 4, if you were tracking? They are those who were described of as poor in verse 1. And poor does not just mean economically disenfranchised. Poor means like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That process, according to Jesus and what he quoted there, that's his mission statement. It, it, it starts with people who are poor. Now, in this world, we don't like to be poor, do we? We don't like to be in positions where we are in need. But the, the reality is we are in need, whether we know it or not. The blessed ones are those who know they have need of what only God can provide. Why? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are the ones whose hearts will actually receive good news uh, and submit to Jesus as Lord. So that's that. his purpose is to bring us into a place of becoming a rebuilder of ruins, and that begins with going through a process of rebuilding our own ruins. The gospel does actually have impact on our lives. It doesn't, we don't just receive Jesus and then we become good church people and walk the straight and narrow and that's the Christian way. It is a whole lot better than that. That's, that in alone is good news, right? If, if all this is is just moral conformity, arr, Jesus, if you're in it, I guess I'm in it, but dang, that stinks. There's more than that. Jesus calls us into his own ministry so that we with him can say of ourselves, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives because my heart has been healed. Not completely, but it's being healed by him. I've been liberated from some captivity. Not completely, I'm still in process, but I have a testimony as well and I've got something to give away. You follow what I'm saying? That is God's will for every person in this room, if you're poor. <laughs> so, 
we're talking about the beginning of that process, which is the healing of the brokenhearted. And that is what we as strong Americans, we like to skip over that part. Just send me into verse 4. I'm a rebuilder of ruins. Send me out to Africa. Us Americans, we're the best in the world. We can change everything, and we're the best, and blah, blah, blah. No, actually, that doesn't work. Sorry. It begins with poverty, humility, serving, loving God, receiving what he has to say so that we can serve other people. And it begins with touching our heart. And we don't like to give God access to that space. That's where it begins. Healing of the broken heart. So what's some of the areas that we might need healing in? Some of us have been uh, carrying around hurts because we have legit been mistreated by other people. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those people out there. They've been mistreated by people. You guys, obviously. That causes hurt. And the closer those people are to us, the worse that hurt is. How about just disappointments in life? I thought it was going to be this, and it was this. Some of us thought it was going to be this because we believed God, and it was this. What, what is that? What do I do with that? How about heaviness brought on by, the, by worries or fears? <laughs> I would say probably most mornings in my lifetime I've woken up with more than one blanket. There's the blanket I take off and then the blanket of heaviness of, oh, my gosh, this day and everything I have to do and the stress and the concerns of just being an adult. Or going through tragic circumstances as well, heaviness, turmoil from unresolved life issues, baggage of feeling like a failure. Am I good enough? Am I making the cut? Weariness of doing in our own strength rather than trusting in God. There's literally millions of Christians trying to do that in the earth today. Insecurity uh, from lack of validation. And so this is what we want to say today, kind of three. The main text we'll be looking at is Acts chapter 3, but there's three kind of sequential thoughts And it's this, that part of the healing process is absolutely, it's the gospel. It's good news to the poor. It's a revelation of spiritually, divinely revealed truth that impacts our heart. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. But you know what else it is? It's not just the gospel. I don't mean to demean the gospel. It's not just the words. It's not just the truth. The Spirit of the Lord God. Without the Spirit, the gospel is just information, my friends. We have to have the Spirit and relationship and encounter with a living Jesus. And it is important that Jesus rose from the dead and he is alive today. Why? Because he still engages with us because he still lives. How do we engage him? The Spirit. He is not bodily here anymore, but he is most certainly here and most certainly wanting to interact every bit as much as he interacted with his disciples in bodily form 2,000 years ago, and more so, because now it's not from the outside in. He dwells inside of us. So this thing of the Spirit is critical to the process of having our hearts healed, and here's the three kind of sequential steps, is that healing presence is part of our heart healing. We have to have healing, the presence of the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord, 
his presence, in, to some degree, it comes from a heart agreeing with heaven. There's something about a heart that agrees with heaven, and I'll explain this more later, that releases the presence of God onto the earth in our own lives. And thirdly, it, the power of agreement is released when we open our mouths, when we speak something. So I'm just wanting you to give us some handles today as we're walking through difficulties. How many of us walk through difficulties from time to time? Do you know your pastor walks through difficulties? Do you know your pastor is walking through difficulties? Do you know your pastor is living what I'm preaching right now? So we're all good. You can receive this. I'm not preaching at you. I am sharing truth that helps me, and it does help me. This is not theory. This is practice. I have been in that batting cage, my friends, many a time. This works, what we're about to look at. His presence heals our heart. If you can look with me, I know I said Acts chapter 3 is the main text, but if you want to, you can pop over to Luke chapter 24. Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, and the book of Acts being essentially the sequel to the gospel of Luke, at the very end of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, Jesus has just died. It is now the first Easter Sunday ever, and the disciples still are not convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead. And as a consequence, they are tail between their legs, they are depressed. Now, how, do you, how many of you know those same disciples had plenty of opportunity to know that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. He told them he would, right? And then he died, and three days later, they are completely depressed. I mean, how can they be so stupid? He told them this would happen. He told them he's going to come back from the grave, right? Well, how many of you know that some of us can be that stupid too? Jesus tells this stuff all the time. And then we, walk, and we have this wonderful encounter with him, and then we walk into the real world, and we forget straightway what we were feeling in his presence, right? And when Jesus was bodily removed, they were like, oh, our whole thing is ruined. I've left my family and my job to follow Jesus, and now he's dead. What are we going to do? This just stinks. So there's two disciples walking to a town called Emmaus, and in Luke chapter 24, verse 13, it says, now behold, two of them were traveling this, that same day, this Easter Sunday, to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed in reason, that Jesus himself drew near. Do you hear presence in that? Right? What heals your heart? Presence. Spirit of God and the gospel and the word of God. And here's the presence of Jesus drawing near. And he went with them, verse 16. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Sometimes Jesus can be drawing near to us. And because our, our, the eyes of our heart are so focused on our problems that we don't even perceive Jesus right there in the boat with us. Right? And here it is again. And it says, verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Make note of that. That's their condition. They're sad. Drop down to verse 27, if you would. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If you move over to verse 30. 
And now it came to pass as he sat at the table. So they go into a, they finally get where they're going and they invite Jesus to come in. Jesus is still presencing himself with them. They're going to share a meal. And he sat down at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us, the presence of Jesus lifts and ignites our hearts. And some of us need at times, all of us, to have our heart lifted out of the uh, uh, guard your heart with all your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. A heavy heart is going to issue forth a heavy life. Too many believers, myself included, are living in a heavy life. We need our hearts lifted. Jesus' presence lifts our heart. It says that when Jesus first presenced themselves with them, Jesus' comment about their condition was that you are sad. But the end of this encounter with Jesus is that their hearts burned within them. Are you seeing the effect of being in the presence of Jesus? It lifts. It causes your heart to ignite on fire. With something. It, it, even in the worst of dire of circumstances, it produces hope. They were sure that Jesus was dead and the whole thing was ruined, and he went through the scriptures and, and spoke faith into their hearts in expectation that Jesus Christ was actually going to, or had risen from the dead. They still hadn't seen this. I remember, well, actually, it also ignites, it lifts. They went from sad to having their hearts burn with us and also ignites. It kindles in a fire, it sets a fire. I remember uh, I was once, uh, and excuse me for making all these college references, uh, but we're going to go there again, my college days. I was in the uh, Georgia Southern University Library, um, right, a brand new Christian, and uh, I can remember I was in a cubicle, and I was supposed to be doing studying, you know, like you're supposed to do at the library, and I was supposed to be doing this stuff, and I was just in this cubicle, but I just felt drawn. It's like I, and I, and I tried to resist. I got all the stuff that I needed to get done. Jesus, I'll get with you later, and then it was just like I, I, I just felt him drawing me, and I remember I just put my books down, and I just kind of put my palms forward, and, uh, you know, as a 19-year-old as a brand-new Christian, uh, even though I was in a cubicle, I was in, in harm's way of being seen by somebody, you know, so all this stuff of breaking over your insecurity. And, and I was just like, I don't, I don't care. I'd rather, and so I was just in this cubicle and I just closed my eyes and, and I, just, I just presenced myself with him. And as I did, it was like a, a download from heaven. I just started seeing, it, it was like this understanding of what he did to bring us out of the old covenant and into the new covenant. And that whole thing, it just was like crystal clear. I felt like I was transported. Like I was in a library, but I was in the presence of the Lord. I was, and I mean, I was like, do I need to stand up and preach in this place? I mean, God is upon me. It lit my heart on fire and I would write, write everything I was seeing in my journal. It's something that has changed and revolutionized my life from that moment. What had it been if I had just realized, well, my chemistry thing is due later today. I need to fo focus on that rather than responding to the nudge, right? His presence ignites. It ignites. It sets a fire. It gives you your purpose for living. You find purpose in the presence of the Lord. 
And so Jesus does presence himself still with his people. And it refreshes, it lifts, and it ignites the heart. And if you'll turn with me now to Acts chapter 13. Mm. Sorry, I'm, I'm at three. Acts chapter three. I just want to point this out, thank you, that Jesus' presence, another example of Jesus' presence lifting the burdens of our heart. In Acts chapter uh, 3, starting in verse 19, it says, repent. This is Peter, the apostle, speaking. Jesus is now ascended. He's up in heaven, and the church has been born, and now the church is the one preaching the gospel. And Peter, being the one preaching in this moment, says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Is that the experience that most people think of when they think of church? Times of refreshing? Or is it times of judgment may come from the mouth of Christians? Times of condemnation should come from the mouths of Christians towards everybody who doesn't live like us. Times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. That is what we are about. And that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. I just want to point something out. Can you follow with me here, right? The point, this begins, this is the culmination of this sermon that Peter had just preached. They needed to know what to do with this presentation of Jesus that had just been made. And this was it. Repent and be converted. That's what you should do. Repent and be converted. But can I point out that the point of repenting and converting was that apparently, I'm going to make sure I say it right, was that was the blotting out of sin. Am I right? If you look at verse 19, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Am I right? Dylan says yes. He's nodding. Anybody else? Can I get a witness? Anybody else? That's what it says, right? Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. That was the point. But then it says that there was, the point of your sins being blotted out was the presence of Jesus. That your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and convert isn't the end of the story. Unfortunately, a lot in the church perhaps have made it the end of the story. Repent. But it's for the purpose of the presence of the Lord. That's the purpose. That's, that's, when I understand that, I know why I want to repent. I mean, yes, I want to because I love him and because he loves me. But there is something of a... Of a of a love connection that is at, at, at play here. There's something that I need is the presence of the Lord, but the purpose of the presence of the Lord was times of refreshing. Are you following this? Repent and be converted. Ends with you being refreshed. That's the purpose. And we need the presence of the Lord to be those Isaiah 61 people who are being healed and liberated in our hearts. And so let's, let's take this a little bit bigger. His presence comes from heart agreement with heaven. I know that that may seem like a tongue twister or a mental hurdle. We'll, we'll explain it. I, I want to say to you countless times, countless times, 
I have been in a place of prayer, and I have uh, gone into that place of prayer feeling overwhelmed or just simply feeling totally disconnected. You know, I love those moments where you just feel the presence of the Lord. There are some times where you feel like he's probably not even in the same city. And there's no real reason for it. It's not like I've done something bad or whatever. I just don't feel dialed in. Or there are times where I feel so overwhelmed by life's immense challenges. Because if you follow Jesus, you are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know the good shepherd, that's part of where he leads you in route to the good pasture. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, I, and there, there are times where I feel so overwhelmed by those things and my focus is so much on the circumstances and the impossibilities I'm facing that I don't feel at all like praising. Can we be real? I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like declaring. I can start saying those things that I know to be true and it just feels like empty words bouncing off of a wall. And yet countless of times as I've begun to just do it, just speak from my mouth, what I know to be true about Jesus, begin to even take my concerns and roll them over onto him and begin to declare the things that I know from Scripture to be true about what he will do with my circumstances, my heart will begin to become lifted. I'll begin, ultimately, to see his bigness relative to the bigness of my challenges, and he will become bigger and bigger and bigger to where, though I don't know how my challenge is going to be addressed, I know the one who will. And that, that changes everything. And so if, you, if you'll look with me um, for a little bit further, let's look at this Acts chapter 3 passage that we just looked at, a little bit bigger into the context. The presence is actually sent to those who agree with heaven's message. So if you back up, let's hear a little bit more about this sermon that led up to verse 19 in, in Acts chapter 3. It's starting in verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? This is Peter saying this because he had just prayed for a lame, lame man. The lame man, everybody knew he was lame. He's now healed. He's now jumping up and down praising God. And everyone's looking at Peter and John because they're the ones who prayed over him saying, well, my gosh, you must be like holy God people. And they're saying, why do you marvel or look at us? Uh, or... Why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus. Can I say to us, the message of heaven, the central theme of all of heaven, is the person of Jesus. If there is anything to agree on earth, Concerning what is true in heaven, it is firstly the person of Jesus. He is it. He is the good news. What he demonstrated in the gospel, in his life, culminating, of course, with the cross and the resurrection, that is the message of God. And that is the message here of this message being preached. The whole thing of that this passage of scripture that culminates with this comment that we just looked at about the presence of the Lord, it starts, my friends, with Jesus. Whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead. 
what's the point there? I just want to point out whom God raised from the dead is what Peter was saying is that you have been against him. You killed the prince of life, the one whom God has appointed. You killed him. Therefore, if God appointed him and you killed him, you're against God. And even in as Christians, please hear what I'm saying. We will still find many places in our heart that are against God. Do you follow what I'm saying? I can be absolutely overcome with financial worry. That is against God, who says, I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, your provider. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. My God shall supply all of your riches according to it, uh, all of your needs according to his riches and glory. You following? The, the worry that I have is contrary to the truth. My heart is, is in opposition to spiritual heavenly truth. You follow? It's an opportunity to repent and be converted. Not to get saved, not to become a Christian, to turn my heart from believing one thing to believing something greater. And so it, here we have G- Peter pointing out how they have been against the very work of heaven. They put the work of heaven on a cross and killed him. And then it goes on to say, of which we are witnesses in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him, this lame man, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brothers, I know you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who is preached to you before. We agree with heaven by repentance and conversion. Am I right? That is how we respond when we realize, when we see that our belief system is contrary to heaven's belief system. It's an opportunity to re- repent and, and, and be converted. Now, I, I know, because I, I can feel it, Rodney. I feel it. I feel it. That nowhere in the New Testament does it say a believer needs to repent, needs to confess. <laughs> you know you're thinking it. If you're not thinking of it, you're going to be thinking of it. Okay. <laughs> But I believe repentance, what does repentance mean? Metaneu, the impressive Greek word, simply means to change your mind. And we, the moment we say yes to following Jesus is, is a series of changing our mind as we discover his mind and how our mind had been contrary. Repentance is beautiful. It's freeing. It opens up the door for heaven to come in to the earth firstly through our own lives and hearts. You follow? So repentance is the admission that we have been thinking wrong, believing wrong, and changing that course. For some of us, perhaps we're not experiencing the presence of God simply because we're resisting. The first year, I said a few weeks ago, first year of me being a believer and following Jesus was this not in a church, I won't go into the story, but just know that I, I, got, I became a Christian outside of church. I didn't know any other Christians. It's been a year knowing, getting to know the Lord, and I don't recommend it, <laughs> Being, doing that outside of a church context. Uh, and uh, increasingly becoming convicted 
in my heart of things that were out of order because I was running with a worldly crowd. I didn't have any fellowship, and what we did was worldly. You know, sin or sin, that's what you do. And I became convicted of that. And you know what I began to experience? The, the absence of his presence. I began to feel his displeasure. And you know that's an expression of his love. It causes us to feel displeasure with things that he's displeased about. I didn't feel the, 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 the presence. And the moment that I finally broke and acknowledged I've been engaging in things to, to obey you and to step out of what I'm, I'm doing is, going, is to surely leave every single earthly friendship that I have. But I would rather be in your presence than have the acceptance of all these people. And the minute I turned my heart and, and repented, as a believer, right? I'm not talking about repenting so I could get saved. As a believer, the moment I, re- I felt the presence of the Lord, the nearness. Why? It's not because God came... I mean, you know, draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. It really is because I came to him. I responded. It's not like I got him to do something for me. Okay, I'll obey you, but you got to do this. It's follow me, and there are benefits in that place. So, um, again, for some of us, perhaps we're not experiencing his presence simply because we're resisting. And I want to ask us the question, is there an area that you're resisting in your heart? And I've got advice. Stop! Just yield. It's the, the essence of the gospel is that we leave our life and put our trust in him. Every time we resist, we deny the very basics of the gospel. Just yield. Jesus, good. Devil, bad. Conversion. So that's repentance. What does this conversion mean? Repentance means to change your mind. Conversion simply, that Greek word, the original word there, it simply means to turn to something. Repent. So turn from one thing, turn to another. That's literally what it is. Repent and be converted. Turn from one thing, turn to another. It's basically turn from your life to turning to Jesus. That's it. Turning to Jesus. Let me, let me just point out some things about this Jesus that we're turning to, if I may, if you can indulge me, from this very scripture that we just read, some of what we heard about him, things that are mentioned of him in that very passage, that he is God's servant, he is the holy one, he is the just, he is the prince of life, he is the one whom God raised from the dead. He's the one who faith in his name causes miracles, this lame man to walk. He is Christ. He is Lord. What are we waiting on? That's who Jesus is. And we could go on and on and on. Turning to that one, placing our faith in that one, yielding our heart to that one. When we sing, he is good, he is good, oh, oh, he is good. Repentance and conversion means turning from and turning to. And at, in such simple terms, just like it was 2,000 years ago when people followed Jesus, his presence logically would have been wherever he was. And today, it is following Jesus in the sense of yielding our heart. That's where his presence is. We oftentimes are asking 
I mean, I don't want to, I, I think Michael W. Smith wrote the song, and I respect the man. I think he's great, but there's that draw me near to you, never let me go. I'm, I'm sorry if that ain't in the scripture. God doesn't draw us to him. I mean, he draws all men into uh, himself, but we, God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Do you follow what I'm saying? The presence of the Lord is when we begin to follow, which begins with turning from our thing and turning to Jesus. It's simple. Yieldedness to him. That's where his presence is. It all gets back to agreement with heaven, which leads me. So his presence is part of what heals us. His presence comes where a heart on earth is agreeing with, him, with heaven, and the power of agreement is released when we declare it with our mouths. So if you'll look with me, uh, you don't have to look with me, but I'm just going to read this. Romans chapter 10. If you confess, can you say that word, confess? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart one believes. Do you know that if you confess Jesus as Lord and you don't believe, you don't have that faith in your heart, it doesn't make you saved? It's, it's, it starts in the heart, the revelation of who Jesus is. Faith is born in your heart. But according to that scripture, it needs to not stay in your heart. Something comes up and you confess Jesus Christ is Lord and man is saved. There is power and there is something of divine design of, of mankind, not just believing in the heart, but speaking what they believe. Now, some of you don't believe yet what I'm saying, but we're going to get there. There is power, undeniably. One believes is with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Obviously, you would agree with me that for whatever reason, God wants there to be, <clears throat> be the cooperation of our mouth with our faith. The, and so it's with our mouths we declare belief. If you can turn, you can, you can do that to Mark 11, verse 23. Jesus says this, for assuredly, and I hope you all can get this. I hope we all can, can see what it is that I'm saying here. It may be new territory for some of us. That's okay. I just ask you to open up your hearts and hear simply what the Scripture is saying. Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus says, For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says, can you say that word, says? Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Jesus didn't say that whoever prays earnestly that this mountain be removed. He said, whoever says to this mountain, he will have whatever he says. Verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. This is such a monumental scripture when, when it, where it concerns faith the kind of faith that changes things in the earth. And in this passage of Scripture, the word believe is used twice. But the word says is used three times. And if you don't know him, there's a man named Kenneth Hagin. He was kind of an amazing man of God and kind of championed an understanding of what it is to receive what God has promised by faith. And reading the Scripture, he would say that the church of Jesus does not have a faith problem it has a speaking problem. Do you hear what I said? 
when I'm facing those impossibilities and I'm waking up in the morning feeling the mountain of those impossibilities, oftentimes I would say I believe in my heart God is bigger than that. But that is not enough. I have to say something. And there is, I can't understand, I can't explain it to you, but I know it's true. When you speak, in fact, just earlier when we were singing praises to the Lord, to the degree that there were hearts actually agreeing with spiritual truth that, that the lyrics represent, as our heart actually declares things that are true, it releases something of the presence and the power of that very truth. He says to say to the mountain, be removed, and to not doubt in your heart. And so I want to encourage us, there is something released of the power. It's his, his presence heals our heart. It's his presence comes when man agrees with the, the realities of heaven, and there's something about confession of our mouth that, that is powerful in the moment of our affliction, in the moment of our distress, in the moment of our heart, need, heart needing healing. There was, uh, I just want to say just a couple other things, and then we'll be done, and I actually want to give us opportunity to put to action what it is that we're saying. How many of you know preaching is of no use if we don't do something with it? And, I'm, and even if we do something with it in the next few minutes, it still has to be something that's done outside of these four walls, or else it's just a seed sown that gets eaten up and never done anything with it. This has the ability to change your life and my life. So I can remember, and I've shared some of this before um, with some of you would know, some of you would not know, but 2018 was certainly not a fun year in my life. October 2018, I found myself in uh, unth- what it felt to me unthinkable, d- difficult circumstances. If I was to name the circumstances that I was going through that particular year, I, I, we, would, we would go overtime here because we wouldn't have the time. There was, it was just like every single thing that I looked at in my life, that's going bad, that's going bad, that's going bad. Man, I didn't even know that was an area of my life, but it's going bad too. I mean, I was, I was flattened. And a little word of advice, if you want to have that happen to you, go plant a church. Anyways. <laughs> it, yeah, anyways. So 20, 2018, we, Minda and I, we hit our lowest place ever. I want to say, in all sincerity, as God always does, low places become the opportunity to find God in ways that you never would have found him. But they can be for destruction as well. And somehow, by the grace of God, I, I, I determined that I was going to read every morning the Psalms of David from the Psalms, wherever David was crying out to the Lord in the midst of affliction. I felt like if David's walked through some really tough stuff, I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to have David disciple me for a season. And I read this during that season. Psalm 89:15. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. And that just leapt off the page. I knew God was wanting to say something to me. So I looked it up. I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to original language with the Bible. I want to really know because the English translation doesn't really give us the full meaning often. So I went into the original Hebrew. What is this joyful sound? What does that mean? Here's a little bit of an expanded idea of that, of that word. It's the sound of tempest, like a roar. It's the shout the shout or the blast of war. It's the alarm or a shout of joy. I want to tell you something. My body, my, my soul felt, and I'm not 
I'm not exaggerating. I felt I had a desire to lay down on the ground most, of the, most every day. And I wanted, I don't even know how to explain this, I wanted the earth just to suck me in. Does that, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? Uh, but I would tell Minda that often. I just want to lay down and just, like, not, you know? I just want to not anymore. It was, like, so horrible. For me to read this passage, the sound of a tempest, the shout of joy, it did not feel natural. But I began to do it. In our tiny little apartment of 1,100 square feet, I would go into our bedroom, and I would shout under my breath so that my boys didn't think I was absolutely loony. They still do, but... And I began to shout, and I didn't feel it at first. But as I would, like, Jesus... You are bigger. I trust in you. you. And I would start naming things that I know that he's done in times past to show himself faithful in my life or in scriptural testimony. And I would just begin to shout. And I began to even just celebrate and dance. And as I began to do that, a faith and an expectation would begin to rise. And I would leave that place feeling like very vulnerable, still feeling like I don't know how this is going to work out. But I know where my salvation comes from, and I know he is for me. And it began to change the atmosphere around my heart. And I want to say, no matter what we walk through, it is possible to walk with a heart that gets lifted and ignited in the presence of the one who comes alongside your road to Emmaus and speaks things that cause you to remember what he is planning. I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts for good and, and to give you a future and a hope. Good and not evil. Peace and not evil. To give you a future and a hope, an expected end. God dwells. We just want to end it here. Psalms 22, verse 3. God dwells in his people's praises. What is praise? It is confessing with the mouth truth that exists in the heavens. Sometimes we're facing an enemy army that's much bigger than us, and God lives in the sound of words coming out of the mouth of believers. He dwells in it, and there is power released in it. You are holy, O you, Psalm 22, verse 3, you are holy, O you, that inhabit the praises of Israel, Israel being God's chosen people, and we are the true Israel. Believers in Jesus are the true Israel. O you that inhabit the, inhabit the praises of his people. God dwells in the confession of heavenly truth. And that is, my friends, why when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he said this, begin here, Father, you are in heaven, holy is your name begins with declaration before you pray anything about your needs or anything else. Focus on God's bigness. Look there. Begin to describe him. Begin to speak with your mouth the truth of who he is, and it releases something of that truth into your life.